We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lucky Lefty is on CFB Nation, presented by Twisted T. Welcome back, Lucky Lefty Podcast. You already know where we reside, CFB Nation, and we're presented by Twisted T. Sean Davis, Malik Zaire, audio edibles each and every day, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, then YouTube. Subscribe. Make sure you hit that thumbs up for us. Share button, notification bell, that's for you. You asked for it, so we gave it to you. Go over to YouTube right now, Lucky Lefty Podcast, and you can vote for the season awards, the season-ending awards, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Worst Loss of the Year, Biggest Win of the Year, so on and so forth, and also the Biggest Story of the Year. The season award show is up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify right now. If you get a chance to see or hear it, go check it out, download it right now over at CFB Nation, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So left with Riley Leonard coming in, and we assume that he will be the starting quarterback. We're just going to assume. I don't think Notre Dame will bring him in to sit on the bench. Out of the four styles we saw yesterday, which style do you think is going to represent the way Notre Dame is going to have to play next year to make a run at the playoffs in a national championship? Left, you there? We lose yep, you? I'm here. Sorry. No, my fault. What style, out of the four styles we saw from the teams in the playoffs, which style do you think Notre Dame will look more like if they make a run at the national championship. Oh, man, I hope we look more like Notre Dame. I like kind of what Texas had going. Uh, I don't think we'll have the recruits to get a Washington sort of offense, but I like that Texas defense plus the, what they do on offense. I think it'll fit more to what we are as a style. And, you know, I think with the right coaching with Denbrock, we will be more Texas than we are Michigan. I think Denbrock loves to throw it way more than than how Michigan does, but um, I think we're not we're not the Alabama style either. Just because I do think that we have enough 
around us to be able to throw the football more efficiently. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike Denbrock definitely makes a difference. And you know what, left? Okay, that's that's pretty good. Between Texas and Michigan, I probably can see Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame defensively is a little bit better, specifically on the back end. Uh, Texas is definitely better up the middle defensively, right? That young you said definitely, you definitely what you said? No, Texas is better. Up front, defense. Yes, yes, Dame. absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the back end is where Notre Dame has a considerable advantage, in my opinion, than Texas. Can they get there up front? They'll be more talented, but we actually have to see it on the field. So yeah, they probably you can. Think it's a considerable like... difference up front. You, you talking about up front? Michigan or? Oh, no, no, no. Texas is a much is light years ahead of Notre Dame stopping the run up front. It's not mm, even, really? not even Are you they got me? they got the bodies. Like the, the one dude was pretty big. I ain't gonna lie. Was that I number, mean, that's uh, number how 90. You want to describe number it. 90 was <laughs> that 90 and 93. However, you want to yeah, describe it. <laughs> we ain't got no 90s though. <laughs> like, dude, you're not you're just not running the ball. You're just not running the ball on Texas. You know, you have to you have to take advantage of them on the back end because the safeties are questionable. The defensive backs are okay, right? And that's exactly, I mean, their defense, the weaknesses of the Texas defense played into the hands of Michael Penix in that Washington offense. It really did. It really did. So, I can see... In Texas, I don't know if the offensive line next year can be as dominant as Michigan's offensive line. With the youth, maybe they can grow and be that dominant towards the end of the season. 
Riley Leonard can very much play the same role as J.J. McCarthy, making some plays off script, using his legs, leaning on the run. I don't game. want to look like Michigan, though. That's the thing. I don't want to look like Michigan style offense. Well, I don't think Mike Denbrock is Sharon Moore, but then Sharon Moore, if he had Michael Penix, probably wouldn't be sent running the plays that he's running. Yeah, it's like, what are you going to do with Riley Leonard? Are we turning him into a Jalen Milrow hybrid, or are we turning him to a, a J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers mix? A lot of this depends on the talent of the quarterback, and I don't think he can throw the ball as well as Michael Penix or Quinn Ewers. I hope he can throw better than Jalen Milrow, but, hell, they was just talking about him playing receiver. And then you got J.J. McCarthy, who's so non-factor, to the success of their offense, I think that Denbrock's not going to have that style. The quarterback is going to be the, the the catalyst of any mm-hmm. Denbrock offense. So you got to be a dude. You got to be able to run and throw the football. And I don't know how well Riley can do that consistently to be a threat like a Michael Penix, like a Quinn Ewers. Because Michael Penix ran the ball too, but his ass was sliding. He ain't making people miss. <laughs> he, he, he see the first down if it's – Two, three guys there, he's taking a slide sh- short. He ain't going, you know, he be like, I'll take the fourth down chances and get the, with, the, with the pass. But, you know, so all these guys can move. Quinn Ewers even had a couple runs. Hey, I thought he was going to run into the end zone that last two drives. But, you know, it just shows that you got to have some type of athleticism. It's just going to have to come down to, you know, can you meld it together to make the offense go? Because I think we got the pieces – Similar to how Michigan has pieces, similar to how Texas has pieces, I think we will be able to complement that well. I know one thing. If you put Michael Penix in a dome, you're going to have a problem. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah, he's serious. He'll be real serious. He, people don't realize, like, the last two games he played at home, the wind was, like, 30 miles per hour. It's like, dude, in November, he was playing in some of the worst. He played Oregon State. It was like some of the worst inclement weather you had ever seen. That's right. And Washington didn't change. They just kept throwing the ball. I'm like, dude. But you put them in a dome in the Pac-12 championship game, what happened? They lit Oregon up. You put them in the dome, down there, in the Sugar Bowl, they lit Texas up. This is going to be very interesting in this championship game down in Houston, bro. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's another dome, right? The Allegiant Stadium, if they open it up. If they open it up, I don't think the weather would be like 30-mile-power winds, anything like that. It is a big question. Can the Notre Dame offense next year give the same impact to opposing defenses to where you say – Dude, ooh. man, we can't. Dude, if we double this dude, this dude is going to kill us. If we double him, he's going to kill us. Do you think Notre Dame has a chance to become that type of offense next year with the transfers and the young players they have coming and developing? Now, if we had an Evan Stewart with a Riley Leonard or something, okay, now we talking. You know, now we, now we, now we cooking with grease. But we still just have some unproven questions about our offense. It never hurts to have first-round talent on your team, left, right? <laughs> like, That's true. That's true. Yo, Michael Penix, first-round talent. 
Jaden Pope, first round talent. McMillan, second round talent. Roma Dunze, first round talent. It, 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 it doesn't hurt to have first round talent on your football team on either side of the ball. And that's where recruiting comes into play, Lucky Lucky Podcast. I think, in my honest opinion, that Riley Leonard and his offense, if Riley Leonard in his first year, which is going to be a difficult task, man. And you left. The entire offense is about to learn a new system. I think that's something that's escaping people as well. Yeah. Like Mike Denbrock is bringing in his system. The system that the Notre Dame offense played in the tumble. That's done. They might keep certain aspects, but Mike Denbrock is coming with his system that these players are going to have to take the offseason in the spring to adjust to and learn. That's right. So now this is a new system, not just for Riley Leonard. But this is a new system for the young running backs, the young offensive line, the new wide receivers, everyone. And I think that's something that needs to be pointed out when we talk about this offense in 2024. I just feel so much better if it was a two-year thing, not a one-year thing. Because all the pieces, you know, Ryan Leonard, Chris Mitchell, you're getting uh, all the defensive transfers. You're getting another year of guys getting older. You're getting Jordan Pace. So a year two under Denbrock in 24, 25, I think it would be crazy. But the first year is just a lot more excitement because the potential you know it could have. So I think we'll get far as a one-year unit, but two years I just can't think outside of what how it could be better as, if in a one-year over a two-year because yeah. every team right now that's balling is a two-year program, essentially. Yeah, we a pointed that out, beat. right? Yeah, the three three of the quarterbacks in the semifinals were in their second year in the system as a quarterback. And, Jaylen and then you Yoro. got J.J. McCarthy, obviously, you know, he's 50 games in, you know, so – does it change in a playoff system of 12 teams where anybody can win and lose? Let's talk about that, Left. Maybe that helps us. I think the 12-team playoff, in a sense, is going to revive the bowls. Because now you have players that won't be opting out because they're going to make the playoffs. Is it a neutral thing, though? No. It is a – the first round is going to be home games at the top seeds. And then it's it's neutral sites once it gets to the quarterfinals. Okay, okay, quarterfinals, okay. Well, yeah, I do think that with the 12-team playoff, anybody can win sort of round robin. It's about being good in moments. But do players still sit out? Because at the end of the day, how much more of a benefit are these playoff games to an individual that's floating around the second, third round in regular season play? Does he look at it the same way? Oh, my regular season tape is good, or do NFL teams value playoff tape more than they do regular season? Because if you're a Leonard Fournette and you're – or even a Jaden Daniels, a Jaden Daniels, a Heisman winner, they're probably – a loaded a low seed playoff team probably like 10 or 11 does Jaden daniels play in the playoffs i mean he's already a projected first round due to the heisman in a good regular season does a i know bo nix is gonna play he had the most plays uh most games played ever in 61 so i know he gonna play but there's guys like that does caleb williams play 
Mm-hmm. If, if, if USC gets in an 11 or 12 team, does he play in the playoffs? Being that he's a lock for a first, second round pick. So I don't. So it's just an interesting thing of what guys still decide to choose. I think if it was this year, does Maris sit out? Would Maris all of a sudden start talking about he's got to prepare and all these injuries and stacked up, or is he going to play in the playoffs? So that's where I think the facade of this missing one mysterious game that holds so much weight. It'll go to the wayside. Yeah, so this playoff extension could left and be honest, man. If it revitalizes the bowls and keeps some of the opt-outs from opting out, how does that impact the transfer portal next year? Right? Because yeah, now when you have, do you have time to recruit? You have kids. Portal. You have kids on top twelve teams that transfer. I mean, players on top they twelve teams. Hold on, they're going now. To- Right. Do you hold on? Do you stick around <laughs> for the playoffs? Do you hop in the portal? This man, this year, and the impact of how everything is going to change is going to be very interesting for a lot of teams. So I'm looking forward to watching how the portal, the opt-outs, and everything is impacted by playoff expansion. You're 100 percent right about this transfer portal in the playoffs. Because if you are if you are eight seed. Right? And you, Arizona. Arizona's quarterback and receiver are the hottest in the transfer potential portal. And mm-hmm. Arizona might bust some teams up next year. So if they get into the playoffs, you're going to leave mid-playoffs as an outside? It's just, I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Because then you got to take it next step further. Can you get some teams and trade in the, in, after the regular season? Mm-hmm. Can some transfers add on to Alabama before the playoffs? And can they play? Can Notre Dame might pick up a, a top receiver from the regular season before the playoffs and play me in? Can we, can we do that? No, I don't think that's within the rules, though. It's the wild, wild, wild is not. No. We bring in early enrollees. Can C.J. Carr potentially have played if he had the opportunity? But they're not, they're not officially. C.J. Carr wasn't eligible to play in the Sun Bowl. And you can't play for a team until you officially become a student, and you don't become a student until. Oh yeah, you gotta be a student. That's right. That's right. So that's... it's it's too it's too close to semi pro football for me at this point. <laughs> like Nick Saban said, he said this is semi pro football. However, you pay to play, however you want to slice it. But at the end of the day, these playoffs are going to extend kids' breaks, or they're not going to have a winter break, which is, which is what you need if you're in school. Left, I want to talk about the razor-sharp difference between wins and losses in big games. Texas got outplayed. And I look, Texas got outplayed in my opinion. But even with Michael Penix going crazy, they had a chance to win, and they had a chance to win with their running backs turning the ball over in big situations in Washington territory, which could have been scores for Texas. Then you have Michigan. Special teams was awful. Turnovers that led to points in Alabama. And they still were able to overcome. Yeah, because Alabama doesn't have a driving force on offense coming from the quarterback position, which is – it's just, Tommy didn't make it look like he was helping his quarterback. Like he didn't, he didn't help 
the perception of Jalen Milrow being a top quarterback in that game with the things that they were running. Like the last play of the game, you really hanging him out to dry. Mm. You giving you giving it's it's a right now decision. You could have caused something way to give him a better chance. Cause those type of plays is a right now decision. Mm-hmm. It's either you make it or you don't. There's no extending that type of play. You know how you get some some nice finishes with the guy running around and he da 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 and makes a play late in the back of the end zone, like uh, the the Dow, the Dallas uh, Dallas Cowboys and 49ers to catch in the back of the end zone with the the Tony toe tap that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You're running the RPO. This is like a run play. You're not blocking it because you're running the football essentially. And then you having a late outlet pass in case it all goes bad. So essentially on the last play of the game, you call it a quarterback power. With a dump out late in case you get the look. Now, realistically and logically, practically, if I'm man blitzing because I'm in the red zone, I'm on the goal line, black zone type, that's a great call because you are forcing the offense to make a decision. You're putting the offense in a in a in a bind because you're pressuring on a run call. It's a run call first. So due to everything involved in the last play of the game emotions, everybody's thinking a little bit more, you know, on edge. You're calling a run play with a late pass that he's not looking for. It was a low snap. So his timing's automatically off of the throwing the football wide. Right. You're going to throw the – you on the five-yard line. Think about it. Think psychologically. You're on the five, six-yard line. They give you a run-pass option where the pass option is you have to everything go perfect to throw it out because you're throwing a swing pass. So as a quarterback, you're like, is the last play of the game, am I looking to throw a swing pass or am I looking to run it in from five yards out? So let's just think from a, a quarterback's perspective, what would you do, Sean? You going to throw the balls sideline to sideline? Or are you going to run it in because you're Sean Davis and this is the, the playoffs and it's five yards away and I got Alabama's offensive line? Now, see, left. this is where the nuance comes in, right? Because there are people on both sides of this. Oh, it was a bad play call. Oh, the play call wasn't an issue. This is the issue in life, man. The majority of the time in life, when you're trying to get something done, everything is not going is not going to go the way it's supposed to go. That's life. Yeah, RPM somebody's going to be right. somebody's going to be a minute late. Somebody's going to be running ten minutes late. Dude, you still have to execute. Execution is something that Marcus Freeman has harped on. This program taking the next step in for the last two years. He said, "Yo, we have the players." execution well better players execute the center for alabama has been snapping poorly all year long you don't have anybody better there's no one else on the roster that can do it better he's been doing that all year so this is what happens in do who you are as a team in pressure situations is going to come to the forefront. 
It was such a late it, man. It was just such a lazy call. I'm just disappointed at the call. It was a. It was a. As you know, it was a, a quest, specific... but this, this is my point, love. As much as you feel that way, if the snap is good, and if Latham doesn't get blown up by Josiah Stewart and does his job, and Derek Moore isn't allowed to cut inside of the left guard, and he does his job, Jalen Milrow, even with the bad snap, probably has a good chance to run straight up the middle and score. And then people are like, well, follow your guard. Dude. The timing of the play is off. When you're pulling guards, that's about timing. Once your eyes, yeah, but why are you calling a ground, timing play on the last play of the game? The reason why they beat the reason why they beat Auburn is because he gave him a, a chance to beat Auburn. You call it a pass play where he can extend it. Guys can run around, get open late, and he found a guy late. You don't call a right now decision for the end of the game. With the with it being an easy defensive call to just blitz and play man, you put pressure on the quarterback to be perfect in that situation. Because instead of giving him something specific, you giving him options. How hard is that? That's why it's multiple choice on tests and not options. They give you four of. Essentially, that's what you gave your quarterback. You gave him basically the power to make the decision. In a game-winning situation, I need specific orders. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm in the huddle with LeBron James, LeBron James going to draw up the right play. Don't tell me, get it at the top of the key and do your thing. That's essentially what he told Jalen Milrow to do. Get it at the top of the key. We're going to clear out everybody on the baseline. You go one-on-one. And then if you get in trouble, kick it out. That's a terrible – you wouldn't call that for the end of the game, Sean, would you? You have a you have a play call. We're gonna do pick and roll at the top. We're gonna back door. We're gonna hit the bounce pass. Easy bucket. We win the game. You're not gonna tell your your quarterback to be like point guard to be like, hey, it's the last play of the game. We're gonna take it out out of bounds at half court, and you just go one on one. That's terrible. That's terrible coaching. Yeah, he may be the best point guard on the team, but that's not what you gotta do to win the game. That's not the buzzer beater. Right? Call the call the play up. Give me the pick and roll. Get my man open. Get him some space. That's how you call the last play of the game. You don't call the last play of the game with no isolation. Because that's essentially what it is. We're going to quarterback ISO against a blitz. What did they on, run? Man. What was that like? A G gap that they ran? They ran a guard pool quarterback power play. Power. You're relying on a quarterback run play to win the game? That's so Notre Dame of you, Tommy Reese. You reminded me of the Clemson two-point conversion, dude. Because think about it. You put up – you're either saying we're going to quarterback power our way with no time left, last play of the game, five yards from the end zone against a tough defense. Or if you don't like the run, quarterback power, you're going to throw the ball sideways and rely on two receivers to block two DBs. Really? So both plays are not plays to get past the goal line. Both plays are plays where your players got to work hard to get beyond the goal line. That don't make no sense. If it's the last play of the game, I'm sending somebody in the end zone. Right. He sent both options to either run the football or to throw it behind the line of screen. So so what you have have been more comfortable – 
if they went motion, the same motion with the running back, but they ran double slants with the wide receivers to run a rub play on the linebacker. Yeah, and then and then then the thing is, you're putting the best attribute to win the game, and that's making them super one-dimensional. You're saying, Jalen Milrow, you can't really throw, but I know you can run, so I'm going to give you a run. That's lazy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a powerful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. So conceptually, look, Tommy and and concept... Ah was thinking the right way. Put the ball in my best player's hand. Yes, put it in Jalen Milrow's hand, but that's not the that's not what you that's not the call you you're want. gonna but this the last play Tommy. Right. So right, even right. if it's a good run and he moves forward, you're taking the risk of it being tackled before the goal run, which makes you feel really stupid. But it's the last play of the game. So yeah my quarterback can run around but let's send some people beyond the goal line. So now you put the defense, you put stress on the defense. You mm-hmm. didn't, how much stress is on a team, on a defense, when you're running the football and then the option to throw the football behind the line of scrimmage? You don't put no, they don't have to back up. Michigan's defense on the last play of the game didn't have to back up and they're on their own five. That right there tells you that you're not trying to win or you taking an easy way out because – if I'm Nick Saban, I'm like, dude, we lost the game because nobody was running in the end zone. Dude, Period. This is, you know what the funniest Period. thing was? You know what the funniest thing was? They they interviewed Nick Saban at halftime, left, and Nick Saban is is telling the offensive um game plan in the interview. He's like, yeah, we got to move the pocket. We got to run the ball a little bit more. We got to do this to do that. And I'm like, dude, how come Tommy? Why didn't Tommy do that in the first half? Like, you could have adjusted that after the first two se- after the first series. When you saw your offensive line didn't yeah. know how to protect against the aggressive defense and the blitzes. That should have been an immediate adjustment. Like, okay, 
We're about to go to the run game right now. Because we have to slow these blitzes down. And it is almost crazy that it took until the third quarter for Tommy to adjust and to start seeing some type of uh, success offensively. It, it Look, that's why Notre Dame fans were upset, right? Because the system was Tommy's system, but Jared Parker was still the man at the wheel. He was still the play caller. So that falls on Jared Parker. But some of the same things you see, lack of creativity, lack of formation depth, lack of motion to dictate to the defense. Michigan dictated to Alabama's defense in key third down and fourth down situations. They didn't just line up and say, oh, we got a dominant offensive line. Oh, we got a running quarterback. We got a pretty good running back. No, Sharon Moore dictated. And it wasn't the one the number one receiver that got open. It was the number three receiver that got open and made plays multiple times. Yeah, Washington had, Washington had all they guys getting open. There was tight ends making catches. Brian Grubb, does the exact, Brian Grubb does the exact same thing, and that's the promise of Mike Denbrock. That's the, promise, that's the promise of Mike Denbrock. Someone on a year-by-year basis that's going to use what he has, he's going to know who his players are, and he's going to make sure that he calls plays to get them the ball. That's the promise of Mike Denbrock with this talent coming into the transfer portal and the talent that exists already with the upgrade at the wide receiver coach position as well. That's right. This offense, if they broke rec- – look, let's – left. Would you prefer Notre Dame break all type of offensive records and suck in the big games offensively, or would you rather Notre Dame average 36 points per game and put up 36 points in big games? Yeah, I'd rather them get 36 points. I do. I don't care about scoring records and all that stuff, dude. Yeah. What do the you do? Records come when you have dudes in an offense that is supporting them. You should be the records are the result of you knowing how to coach the strength of your team. Mm-hmm. That's where the offensive records come in because now you're maximizing your talent. We have never maximized our talent at receiver. We maximized Will Fuller, but after Will Fuller, we've never maximized a receiver after that. And it's been almost 10 years. And Washington is fully healthy for the first time since, I think, week three. Jalen McMillan missed time. Jaden Polk. uh, Polk missed time. They were out. Romo Duze was the only one that played every game in the wide receiver core. Bernard was out and hurt after the first Oregon game for a couple of weeks. Look. They're healthy. Now Michigan is going to face Dylan Johnson in more than likely with his foot unless they just shoot him up and he can tough it out. And I don't know how effective he can be. We'll see, though. We Man, I think it's going to be a fantastic national championship game. I really do. I, I really do. Um. But it's so nuanced, left, right? Because you can call a good play. And if a dude doesn't do his job, 
and it play play doesn't work, right? Who knows? The play might have worked if the snap was good, right? Regardless of everything you just said, if the snap was good, the play might have worked. But it's still it's still a bad play call because it's the last play of the game. You on the five yard line and you send nobody to the end zone. What are we talking about? You send you call a run and then you send the pass option to run a swing route. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the probability of that? It's got to be low. It's got to be low success rate when you're running the football and then you're throwing the football sideways on the last play of the game. Dude, Michigan gets in the red zone. They call RPO where they got the running back running into the flat to the end zone. Then they're bringing the back wide, the backside wide receiver across the formation who's wide open. It, I mean, dude, the eye candy is so crazy. But Alabama had no clue how to cover it. And I just don't understand. Shout out to Sharon Moore once again as a play caller. I don't understand why people get in the red zone and get so simple-minded in their play calling. Like, dude, formation, motion, eye candy, something. I think on the second Washington touchdown, what they do, they put their backup running back in an offset formation and had Dylan Johnson at the fullback position and ran a trap. To the weak side of the formation. I mean, that's just using and finding ways to get the ball to your best players in key situations to get points. That's it. That's it, man. It is. No. It's. Mm. Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. But I think Mike Denbrock has an opportunity. The off see this this is the thing, left. I don't care about breaking records, bro. I don't. I don't care about points per game. I don't. I just don't. What what is Riley Leonard and this offense going to do in the playoffs in the big games? That's all I care about. Okay. You know why Washington is a perfect example, left? Let's look at this. Let me read this off to you. The Washington Huskies this year left. Against Oregon State, State, they put up 22. Against Washington State, they put up 24. Against Arizona, they only put up 31. Against Oregon State, they only put up 15. Did you hear that, Left? That's all. 15 against Oregon State, unranked. 22 against Oregon State. 24 against Washington State. 31 against Arizona. You want to know what they put up against Oregon, USC, Utah, and Texas? They put up 36 against Oregon, 34 against Oregon, 52 against USC, 
35 against Utah and 37 against Texas. See, I do, I can care less. Dude, when you play the top competition, that's when I need to see your best offensively. I don't care how many points you average throughout the season. I don't care. Boys, 56 against Boise State doesn't matter. 43 against Tulsa doesn't matter. 41 against Michigan State doesn't matter. 59 against California doesn't matter. No one cares about that. No one's going to care about Riley Leonard and Notre Dame putting up 40 and 50 against Northern Illinois in September. Nobody cares about that, dude. What are you going to put up against Texas A&M? What are you going to put up against Florida State in November? And what are you going to put up against USC in November? That's all that matters. That's it. That's the true test of the offense. Right? So we can talk historic numbers and what Notre Dame did offensively. Oh, that's fine and dandy. What did they do against Louisville, Duke, USC, and Clemson? It was subpar. So therefore, the story of the offense is that. Is that, yeah, we can be nuanced and still give credit for the accomplishments. But we're talking about winning a championship. We're talking about winning a championship. And the 41 points that they put up against Michigan State and the 59 points that they put up against uh, Boise State and the 49 they put up against Tulsa means nothing. What's impressive? Is the back-to-back 30-point performances against Oregon, 37 against Texas, that lets me know that your offense is real. That right there, left, that lets me know that your offense is real. That lets me know. So we can talk about Michigan, different styles. But Michigan isn't about to put up 30 points against good teams. They haven't done it. Maybe if they get help, turnovers, pick sixes, things of that nature, when Michigan faces a good football team, more than likely, they're not going to put up 30 points. Notre Dame isn't going to give up a lot of points next year. But what is this offense going to do in big moments, in big games? And that, to me, that is the key. 2024. Fred, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I told some of my buddies, I'm praying. I, I love Coach Hammond. Absolutely. He is a man. He's one of the coolest dudes and left can, left can attest to this. He's one of the coolest coaches to talk to and interview in all of college football. Done a solid job at Northern Illinois. But, Fred, you know Northern Illinois is going to get that business when they come to South Bend next year. You know that, don't you? I hope you know that. That's a fact. Northern Illinois is going to get that business in South Bend, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not. So, like Champ said in Harlem Nights, don't take this whooping personally because it's definitely, gonna, it's definitely gonna be a whoop somebody getting whooped that's for sure yeah for sure so you know that is you know that's the dichotomy of 
like perception of offense, right? And, you know, and some people are satisfied with records and, oh, they did this, they did that. Man, look, at the end of the day, we're talking about winning championships, man. That Putting up points against Navy, nobody cares about that, dude. It's good for the record books. It's good to build excitement. But that 14 points against Ohio State, that's suspect. Super suspect. It's suspect. It is what it is. And that's a really good Ohio State defense. So I wouldn't even say, man, you need to put up 30-something against Ohio State. But you should have been in the 20s. You definitely should have been in the We 20s. chose to score, keep it low scoring. We chose that, in my opinion. What do you mean we chose to keep it low scoring? Is that on the head coach or is that on the offensive play call? I think it's the head coach's idea mixed with the style of play calling we had took as an approach. I think coach wanted it to run the football and keep time possession, which is automatically, in my opinion, a conservative way of playing keep away because you don't think you can defend. So you're not looking for points. You're looking to hold on to the football, which is, I think, what we chose to do, which we, which we, I think is what we chose to do, which hindered the ability to play fast and, and play with an intent to put a lot of points on the board, which is a strategy. I think mm -hmm. we did that same strategy when we went to Ohio State. We wasn't trying to score 40 points. We didn't believe that that's how we could win. <clears throat> which I think Denbrock brings the mindset that you better score 40 or you're not going to win, which I think is a transition. Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. So in my opinion, I think a championship team at Notre Dame left, I think will be a mixture of Michigan and Texas next year. Uh, the question mark or the unknown will be the passing game to see how that plays out, starting with Riley Leonard. But we'll see. We'll see. The wide receivers will play a part in that as well and how they look on the outside. Jordan Faison is a playmaker on the inside along with Jaden Greathouse. The running backs are young, but they're explosive. They're playmakers. And then you have Mike Denbrock, the play caller being able to do a lot of things and use a lot of different formations, motions, and everything to kind of get things going to stir the coffee, if you will, or stir the drink, if, if you will. Definitely something to be excited about for sure, though. Yeah. Yeah. And as uh, Justin N.D. Troll Snapper said, look, our points per game this season dropped by more than 10 points in games against ranked teams. You can't have that. Yeah, I mean, our points per game look pretty good, but this next year with the schedule, we should be <laughs> we should be scoring some points. Yeah, yeah. On top of a top five defense, yeah. how do you not score 40-plus? Yeah. I don't think – you know what? I'm looking at the chat now. I think Blake Corn. let me tell you why Blake Corn deserves to be the MVP of that game. First of all, you saw the importance of Blake Corn yesterday. 
because Blake Corm wasn't there for TCU and what did Michigan struggle with against TCU? They struggled in they struggled in the red zone without Blake Corm against TCU, even with Donovan Edwards. Yesterday, you saw the difference in Blake Corm in clutch situations, third and short, fourth and short. He matters. He matters. And in the biggest points of the game, they put the ball in Blake Corm's hand. They didn't put the ball in J.J. McCarthy's hand. That's just a, that's a fact. It's been against Penn State late in the game. They put the ball in Blake Corm's hand. Late in the game against Ohio State, they put the ball in Blake Corm's hand. That's what a play caller does. He puts the ball in his best player's hands in the biggest moments. J.J. McCarthy hasn't been that guy all year. Statistically speaking, yeah, he had an efficient game. Well, he threw for the same yardage that Stephen Jelly threw for, right? Like 220 or something like that. Efficient, high completed percentage. J.J. McCarthy wasn't asked to make difficult throws yesterday. He wasn't. Sharon Moore played to his strength and they called cross the route against Alabama's man coverage all day. He was never asked to throw a difficult ball into a tough spot. No. He just he basically wasn't. played he 2015 wasn't. Dallas Cowboys play action, run the ball with Z, a.k.a. Blake Horn. Exactly. And you, they do. J.J. McCarthy gets the ball every down because he's the quarterback. The fourth and two was a design play to get the ball to Blake Corm in the flat. Sharon Moore said, I'm going to get the ball to my best play. J.J. McCarthy touches the ball every down, even when he hands the ball off. So that's, dude, stop. Michigan did what they've done all year. Late in the game in biggest moments, we're going to find a way to get the ball to Blake Corm. That's it. We're not about to overrate. I'm not about to call J.J. McCarthy trash because I don't think he's trash. But I ain't – J.J. McCarthy doesn't imp, doesn't scare me as a quarterback. He just doesn't. He's You put him in the right system, He's a he can be a good quarterback. That's who he is. You put him in the right system, he can be a good quarterback. Period. That's it. Give him an offensive line, a run game, he's a good quarterback. You put him in a system where he has to throw the ball 40 times, he's going to turn the ball over. He's going to make stupid decisions like he made on the first play of the game. Stupid decision. Just dumb. He got lucky on one of the passes in the fourth quarter that got tipped. Because if the DB played it right, it would have been a batted ball or it could have possibly been picked off. He had two other passes that could have been picked off. So we're not about to sit here and act like, J.J. McCarthy is – dude, J.J. McCarthy threw for 200. He did – he did – the fact that you're saying what he did, what Steve Angeli did, that's not like – you're not helping him out with that because Jordan Faison was the most impressive player and the most dominant player in the Sun Bowl. He in the was. last four games he's been. He was. He just was. Blake Corm was the most impressive player for Michigan yesterday. By far. It just was. I mean, it was evident in overtime. 
And your quarterback through JJ McCarthy throwing no dimes. Yo, Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers was just as efficient yesterday. He just got trumped by Michael Penix. That's all. Just because Michael Penix yeah, played Michael a Penix great game, four hundred plus yards. Oh, and Quinn Ewers played a really good game, man. He Think about it. Third game. quarter, they didn't even touch the ball, but one time, JJ McCarthy played played a good game, dude. He played a good game. All I know is when he didn't have Blake Corm in that running game in the red zone, he turned the ball over and threw two pick sixes against TCU. That's right. That's what I know. He's a quarterback that needs a run game. That's what he is. Dylan Johnson got shut down last night by Texas, and Michael Penix lit their tail up through the air. Period. That's it. If we're evaluating quarterbacks. So my point is, I do. The MVP could have gone to anybody, but let's not inflate. J.J. McCarthy's game yesterday, like his game was like on this super elite level. He was good. That was it. He, he was played good, good and enough he, and to win. People on the other side talking about, oh, he was trash or he's trash. He's, dude, J.J. McCarthy is. He's not he is. trash. He's just not No, he's sure. not trash. He's not trash. He's, not, he's just not Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, there's a reason his. It, in realistic times, he's like a tier three, tier four type of guy. Yeah. yeah. And that's a poor argument, NC Notre Dame fan. If anything, he's Blake, more similar to CJ Blake Corn than anything. Saying if he got hurt during the game. That's that's dude. If Jay, if he got hurt towards the end of the season and Michigan had time to prepare, the orgy kid, the kid that's six four, two thirty that they bring in specifically for packages could have carried out the same game plan. The game plan wasn't hard. Crossing routes, JJ McCarthy didn't have reads. This is they call man to man crossing routes because they don't want him to have to read coverages and defenses. That's why they motion and bunt set to get people open so he can throw to an open receiver. Why? Because he's not that type of quarterback. And Sharon Moore knows that. That's why he's good at what he does. He's very good at making all the chart plays outside of the pocket, which he made yesterday. He's a good player. But stop trying to overrate a dude or trying to super pub up a dude that threw for 228 yards. I wish I had Cam Newton. Because Cam Newton would tell you the kid is a game manager. That's what he is. He's a game manager. They took the ball out of his hands against Penn State on purpose. They ran the ball 39 straight times on purpose. Why? They didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. Yesterday, he stepped up. His meditation worked. He played a really good game in the Rose Bowl. He got the victory. He sits in the grave as a quarterback. He's not trash. But please, let's not act like this dude is like generational quarterback. He's he's just not. He's not. He's just not. And I'll say this. Either one of the guys could have won MVP. Yeah. So to say somebody got robbed, how, he didn't get robbed. 
Blake Corn was just as worthy. Steve Angeli didn't get robbed. Jordan Faison was just as worthy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a pre, it's a preference. You can go either way and not be wrong. You can go either way and not be wrong. That's Shout right. Out. I can say the no, dude, matter of fact, I can say the Michigan defensive line or the defense with seven sacks deserve more credit than Steve than JJ McCarthy for how they set the tone and kept Michigan in the game. Like I said, it's all how you see it, man. And you wouldn't be wrong in saying that. But I just think it's unfair to be on either side of the coin. Acting like JJ was generational yesterday, but then on the other side, like, no, he's trash. I don't I don't think JJ McCarthy's trash at all. I I don't. It's funny because I think until we see a lot of people are kind of taking on both sides of the coin concerning the quarterback situation, whether it's Steve Angeli or Riley Leonard. Some people took the small sample size and said, oh, man, we can roll with Steve Angeli. Some people said, yo, I still don't think he's he's good enough. Right? I don't think some people are like, I don't think we have anything in the quarterback room. Right now, that's good enough. Others are like, oh, Riley Leonard's going to be a dude. And then others are like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I'm not super hyped about Riley Leonard. You know, I just think, look, at the end of the day, what we learned yesterday is that Notre Dame does not necessarily have to be the best team in the nation to win a national championship. They don't. That's what I learned yesterday. And that's very encouraging for me. It is. Notre Dame does not have to be the best team in the nation to win. And left, you said something in our pre-show conversation that we can end with. I said, what did yesterday tell you about Notre Dame in 2024? And what did you say? Oh, damn. Uh... You said it's going to be very important how Notre Dame is seeded because that will set up the run. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, man, in a in a system like this, all we're looking for is a nice seeding. And then as a good team, we playing in the right way, we can make a run to win the games that we want to win. Like if you look at it from how it affects the basketball side of things, anybody can win this on a hot streak. And left, what you're basically saying is Notre Dame needs to be that 5-6 seed. Get the first round home game and then face the third or the fourth seed in the quarterfinals. That's where Notre Dame needs to get to. They need to be the fifth or the sixth seed, which means once they get to the quarterfinals, they're playing the fourth squad in the 4-5 matchup or they're playing the three seed in a 3-6 matchup. Because as you see on yesterday, the number one and two seeds are the teams that made it to the national championship game. Doesn't always fall like that, but I think we're going into an era where Notre Dame won't feel the pressure of every game in the regular season. They may be able to build up to November a little bit more. Every team wants to be playing their best in November, though. That's no secret. 
in sports, college football, you know, NBA, you want to be playing your best going into April. Yeah, yeah. and that's and like you said, it's not a, I'm glad we had a playoff system because this last playoff system this year is built off being the best. Mm-hmm. Washington had to win every single game to get to this point. Now it's not about being the best next year. What it's about next year is who can coach the best. Mm. As Mark, that's why I say we'll have a greater appreciation for Marcus Freeman as a coach on next year because now in the playoff system, it's about who can coach the best, who can put their team in the right positions and in the right mindset, going in one play environments, one game environments. And you got to win what, four or five to win it all? Mm-hmm. That's the season. I think that's the measurement stick. Everything else in the regular season, okay, you can get away. You can't get away with a lot because when it comes down to the playoffs, you got to be able to coach your butt off. And Caleb DeBoer is a great coach. And to be able to put wins like he had to do in the regular season Mm -hmm. and some of the lineups, you had USC, Utah, UCLA, back-to-back type of deals. You had Oregon in there. And then to get into the playoffs and take the time because you're not going to have that much time either. Mm-hmm. You get what one week instead of two, so the coaching has to be explementary if you want a chance to win the playoffs next year. Which is where Marcus Freeman and that depth, that recruiting, that program building, the situational football is going to come to play. Then we'll know if we have the right coaching. We'll know if we have the right assistant coaches. We'll know if we're developed as a program because now you're in one game environments. Mm-hmm. It's hard to judge when you got to be perfect. That's true. That's the easy measurement stick. Oh, you just got to be undefeated, and you and you the best. Now is, yeah, an eight and five team can mess around and beat you if you're not paying attention, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're not coaching the right way, or you injured right now, your backup not as good. You got to coach him up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, coaching is going to be on display in 2024 if you want to win the playoffs. And I think he's assembled the right team, coaching staff. You get an Al Goldie, you get a Mike Mickens, you get a Dim Brock, mm-hmm. get a Gino Gadouli, get a Joe Rudolph, get a Dina McCullough. You can work with that in the playoffs because you can trust those coaches are going to develop late in the season when you need it. All right.